Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast. I'm Jeremy. This is my good friend, Haig. And our brother, Shant, is joining us for our second in a series of talks on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Uh, last week, we explored the statement of Jesus where he says, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. And now we're going to fast forward to John chapter 8, where Jesus stands up in a crowd again at another festival and says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of life. And he offers himself up to the people as such. So guys, here we are in our second run. What's different? Last week we talked about bread. Now we're talking about light. Definitely different elements, but both essential, I would say. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, there's a first first crack at it. They're both essential. <laughs> we're talking a lot about uh, essential things at the moment, essential businesses and non-essential businesses. Right. So bread, light, those are both essential to, <laughs> to, to living everyday life. Yeah, especially uh, these days where uh, vitamin D uh, yes. is uh, in a lack in most of people's lives. And they're saying that vitamin D is actually a, a way to combat coronavirus. Uh, oh, yeah. so, so it's you irony. need to a PSA here. Take your yeah. vitamin D if you want to. <laughs> just go outside. <laughs> like yeah. that's the moral of the story. Like just soak up some yeah, UV, yeah. UV rays. Um, but yeah. but but be careful in crowds. Yeah. What's uh? Yeah. Let's talk about the theme of light in the Bible. Um, light is a common common. It's not. It's at the. It's on the very first page of the Bible. Uh, right. Yeah. I, you can't, you can't discuss it without going all the way back to Genesis and seeing, you know, God created and he said, let there be light. And that was kind of the first thing. And even in the beginning of John's gospel in the first chapter where he alludes to uh, Genesis in the beginning, you know, was the word and the word was with God. And, and again, he, in that first chapter, John even says the light came into the world, came into the darkness and the uh, darkness has not overcome it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you kind of get a hint of that. Uh, what Jesus is saying here, you get a hint of it in the first chapter of John describing Jesus, the logos as the light as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something uh, I didn't get to say that first, that first week, it uh, just escaped me, but that first chapter of John, the introduction, it lays out the themes for the whole rest of the gospel. And, you know, it lays out themes for the bread of life statement. Um, We could have picked that up, but um, we're talking about light of life today. So we'll, we'll switch it to that. But um, that, that line, um, it's a really interesting line where in the intro, uh, John says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So that, that uh, word for overcome in Greek, um, it can mean two different things. It can either mean to grasp something like mentally or cognitively, or it can literally mean to like grasp somebody to choke them to, to like end their life. <laughs> So literally, uh, it's it's a powerful uh, it's a powerful word, and I th- I think I, I prefer that second translation. So it's almost as if what John is saying is, like the darkness tries to snuff, to out, snuff it and, out and kill yeah. the light, and the light overcomes it. It it doesn't. It's not grasped by it. It's not um, you know. It's not destroyed by it, mm-hmm. uh, which foreshadows the violence that Jesus is going to meet uh, as he goes to the cross. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just an interesting motif, just light versus darkness. Uh, it's there in almost any sort of uh, story of good versus evil. Um, the light side of the force, the dark side of the force. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, you have these dualistic uh, religions like Zoroastrianism. That's like the light versus the darkness. Like you have the white, you have the light backgammon pieces versus the dark backgammon pieces. And they're playing this cosmic game mm-hmm. of, of good versus evil. And uh, Christianity has this motif. It's just saying uh, that Jesus is the, like, the one who champions the cause of the light. And it, the darkness thinks it wins over the light, but actually the darkness did not overcome the one who is light. Yeah, I think the, the, the bone that Christianity had to pick with uh, like dualistic systems like Manichaeism and stuff like that um, was not that there was light and dark, but that uh, in those systems, light and dark were equal. And, right. and, and they were sort of, uh, you know, just by the skin of your teeth, you know, the light would win or potentially the darkness would win whether you let it or not. But I think the, the key to Christian faith and the gospel is that they are not equal partners, that, that God um, destroys the darkness and injustice and hate and sin of the world yeah. and, and, still, and still redeems the creation that is uh, captured by it and enslaved by it. Yeah, and yeah. The, the motif, uh, I mean, in Genesis 1, right, God separates the light from the darkness. Yeah. And God is still separating light from darkness right now. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, that, Jared, that you bring that up. The, I, the it's kind of the idea is like we see it in other cultures or other religions about light versus dark, and it's this epic battle between the two, and who's going to win? But right. Christianity says no. It's obvious who's going to win. Uh, it just, it just made me think of a memory back in our uh, college days at CSUN. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a, a you know a world religions class, and before every section of whatever, you know, religion we were talking about, the professor would give kind of a quiz just to gauge like uh, what the the students knew about Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever. And during the Christianity one, he gave it the little quiz and got back the results. And that was a surprising thing, you know, myself as a Christian in, in the class, realizing that people actually thought like Satan and Jesus were equal, you know, that the, the light and dark were equal and it was just this epic battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the professor correctly stated, no, you know, Christianity you know, Satan's time is limited. Satan is already defeated. He's just kind of running out the clock almost and, and mm. the victory is assured. And it was interesting to me that people didn't really understand that um, just on their cursory, you know, view of the faith and about Christ. And I think here the image of light is very important because light dispels darkness. Like there's no place that you're going to have light that darkness is going to snuff it out. Right. right. Just the, the actual like physics of it. Uh, light just dispels darkness it takes it away um it, it just makes it disappear and uh i think that's what jesus is claiming uh he's the light unless you pass by a black hole and then you're screwed well <laughs> but what's True. inside but, the black hole yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah sure but um uh one of the things that's interesting as we talk about this is that uh many cultures uh when they were uh involved in paganism worshipped light Right. And so even, uh, you know, the Armenian culture at one point, we were sun worshipers, we were light worshipers. Um, And it's interesting how we as Christians, uh, as the first Christian nation, as Armenians, took that theme of light and translated it. We Christianized it and made it, uh, you know, speak into the gospel like we, we used it as a way to talk about who God is and what God is doing in the world. Yeah. And, uh, just from like, a physics point of view light is 
the speed of light is a constant, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's cool that light has a characteristic of being a constant. And isn't uh, it also a wave and a particle, uh, right? Yeah. Both. It's both. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's not a direct comparison, but like Christ is like a God and man, but right. particle in a wave. And also yeah. <laughs> he's, he's our constant. <laughs> There you go. That's a Sunday school lesson. Fuzzy, sure. f- fuzzy physics on uh, fuzzy physics. <laughs> on right. We are in no way scientists, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are not scientists. Yes. Uh, yeah. Disclaimer. <laughs> um, so one of the things we're coming up on is light has some sort of revelatory function. So light reveals what's in the dark, right? And so there's a judgment language to light. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jesus says, "I'm the light of the world," he's he's criticized again. I mean, we saw this back in uh, in the bread of life statement. He's criticized. He has conflict. He meets disagreement. Uh, but again, here he has the same. If you read chapter eight all the way through to chapter nine, um, there's controversy, there's <laughs> conflict. And it's because he's essentially saying you're living in darkness. You're living uh, in, a, in a space that's become corrupted. You're practicing corruption. You're, uh, you're blind to what God is doing in the world. And I'm showing you that. In fact, in chapter nine, Jesus does a sign that actually drives home the point of being the light of the world. He takes a guy who's blind and he gives him light. It's like, that's the sort of really powerful object lesson uh, that Jesus performs to drive home the point. Um, So, okay. We have light as a sort of revealing element, light as a, like a victory over darkness because it's often used in the old Testament as a, like a, a sign of victory. Um, but what else? Is, I'm trying to think what else is light symbolic of? Is there another mm-hmm. symbol we're missing? I think those are two big ones. And like you're saying, um, not just Jesus being that revelatory thing, it just, but it impacts us, I think, in a personal way, right? It, it reveals us for who we are, reveals, you know, our shortcomings. And it's like you said, there's that judgment uh, aspect to it, but I think ultimately it's uh, um, a way for, for Jesus to say, look, I see you as you are. Uh, nothing's hidden from me uh, about you, but there's still that connection that he's, there's still that his love uh, mm-hmm. and forgiveness is there, even though he knows every dirty little secret that you have, uh, it, it's still, you still belong to him. Right. It's a, uh... I just thinking too, I think that light is often associated with purity too. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so when someone is clothed with light, it's, you know, it's an image of some like purity and some sort of, sure. I mean, it's also just a met, like it's used as God, right? God is light and everyone who walks uh, with him will be light. So like that's in first John, which is a letter right. that the gospel of John, the, the author of the gospel of John writes later on to his churches um one of the key points of that letter is that god is light and those who walk with him will live in his light so they'll like you said sean they'll be walking in the light yeah transparent not hiding anything uh yeah and that's i think that's again that's a call once we do you know once we are followers of jesus that's the standard and the call that we have to walk in the light to walk with christ and if we're walking with christ uh, we're walking in the light uh nothing is hidden and we try to be as transparent and as open, you know, as we can. Um, it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy task, but that's the, what we're called to do if we're truly 
walking with him. So the, the motif of light is also truth, because in the context yeah. of this passage, they're questioning his authority. What is true? How, do, how, how is what you're saying is accurate? Mm, and yeah. uh, like even from like a, uh, from, a sac- from Plato's point of view, right? The, the analogy of the cave, those who are outside the cave, they're enlightened. They have a higher access to the truth. Mm. Um, so you have that sort of uh, understanding, but, but Christianity's version of it is more of, are you walking in it? Are you with it? Are you honest? So it's not just knowledge. It's actually being honest uh, with yourself and with God. And so yeah. oftentimes it's confess your sins. So the act of confessing your sins is uh, walking in the light. It, it's, it's, it just, the word confession means acknowledging with what God already knows. Right, it's aligning right. yourselves with the light. Uh, it's, it's being someone who's not going to have secrets, not going to participate in the darkness, but it's going to be honest, transparent with their sin, who they are, and just the light and being in, in the light, uh, which is where God is, where there's honesty, where there's truth, where there's Christ and his spirit. Right, right. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, building on all of this, something that kind of marries all these themes together is the fact that Jesus is at a festival. And this festival is the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, some of them have the Feast of, sometimes it's called the Feast of Booths. Yeah. Um, but just to give some like historical background, this is a festival that the Jewish people would celebrate to remember the wilderness wanderings that we talked about in the first episode with the Bread of Life. So after Israel is purchased by God out of Egypt, redeemed out of Egypt and saved, they're brought into the wilderness and they wander there for, you know, 40 years. So it's a remembrance of being homeless, basically. And in the midst of that homelessness, they had uh, the light of God. It was literally like a pillar of fire and smoke that would go ahead of them uh, in the tabernacle and rest when they were supposed to stop. So all of these images, victory, direction, truth, um, guidance, provision, all of those things are kind of summarized in this thing of God is light. He's up there in the front and Jesus is saying, I'm the one, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm the, I'm the leader of the people. I'm the light that's bringing you forward into the, into the world. And it's all celebrated at this feast uh, of tabernacles. And all these themes would have been playing through as the people are gathering. So again, just like last week, when Jesus gets up to say, I'm the light of the world, he's making a very controversial statement. He's basically saying this, <laughs> this festival is about me and, and I'm here to offer you uh, everything that this festival claims to be offering. Yeah, it has that, it has that both internal and external idea. Like you're saying, you know, the, the festival celebrating or remembering the Jewish people time in the desert and it was such an uncertain time for them and God's presence was with them as light in the at night and as a a cloud during the day to keep them from you know the harshness of the sun and yeah like that light represents okay protection from the unknown if it's at nighttime you don't know what's out there you don't know what's in the darkness that light is an external in a sense showing you that it's protection god's protection and when we look at it in an internal way then it reveals ourselves Mm. our internal or internal selves which are just as dangerous as any external, uh, you know, threat that might be. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Jesus is declaring he is that light. And I think um, a lot of it is that in sense, he's that source of light too, right? He is that light. He's the source. Uh, he's the one that's shining over everything. Um, 
he's the source of that light. Um, and it come, it comes from him. So we can look to Jesus for comfort in that sense that he goes before us, like in, in, in the wilderness for the Jews. Uh, but it also comes within us and shines as light within us. Mm. I think it's important also to, to realize that, uh, Jesus also describes, uh, I'm assuming it's in John's gospel as well, that we are the light of the world too, in a sense, mm. whatever light that Jesus has in us shines uh, through us and we become that light, like a miniature mm. light in the world, uh, mm. representing Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a cool, this is just a little nerd out thing too, real quick, but the festival typically happened, the tabernacle festival typically happened in the fall on the uh, autumnal equinox. Mm -hmm. So it was the day where uh, light and dark were at equals and darkness was going to get more throughout the rest of the year. So right at that celebration, when it's just going to get darker from here on out, he's saying, Hey, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to carry you through the darkness to the next, to the next year. And, and it's also, it was like a harvest festival. So it's also, I'm going to provide for you through the darkness, even you know, yeah, like the winter. Yeah. Like that great Psalm, Psalm 23, even in the Valley of the shadow of uh, it's probably darkness, not death, but <laughs> in the darkness of the Valley or in the darkness of death, uh, God will be w- with you to walk with you through that moment. So Jesus is offering that. I think that's a really cool little like uh, sort of social cultural touchstone from that season. Yeah. Um, and I, I do like uh, light as this revelatory thing. Um, so like as Armenians, we, we, we attribute the spreading of Christianity by a guy named St. Gregory, the illuminator who was in darkness in a dungeon for, for 13 years. And then when he got out, uh, he was able to convert the King and Armenia became the first Christian nation. Uh, and I love that they called him the illuminator, the one who was in darkness. Yeah. And, uh, it's a promise from God to, to, to make sure that, uh, his people are in light and walk in light. And, um, like when we say the Christmas greeting, it's like Christ is born and revealed is how you mm-hmm. say Merry Christmas in the Armenian tradition. There's this revelatory understanding that Christ is revealing something of utmost importance. And mm-hmm. if you experience what he reveals, uh, you're participating with it. Hmm. I think uh, it's also kind of language we're familiar with when we talk about enlightenment or being enlightened, right? Um we even name a certain history period, the, the season of enlightenment in Western culture. But it, it has to do just with that, with the being instructed, with the being opened up to a new way to be in the world. And I think that's crucial here. That's what Jesus is saying. Come to me, learn a new way. I'll reveal the way for you and I'll reveal the darkness you're in at the moment. And it's okay. I'll walk with you through it, but don't ignore it. Don't be blind to it. I think that's actually the if i'm remembering correctly at the end of this that story in chapter nine where jesus heals the blind man he gets to the end of the story and he says uh because you say you're not blind you're condemned you stand judged but if you said you were blind i would have been here to help you (laughs) so that's the criticism he has of the power elite it's the it's the fact that they refuse to see it's not that they don't that that they can't see it's that they refuse to see and uh, so you can close your eyes to the light, but you can't, you can't stop the light from shining. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they're, yeah, they're being criticized for not recognizing that they're blind, basically. Uh, right. Pretending they can see and they're trying to lead others. It's the blind leading the blind kind of thing. There you but go. But Jesus is saying, look, no, you, you should realize you're blind. It's because 
you say you can see that's where there's trouble. And I think even going back to the idea of like Plato's cave kind of thing, like I like that analogy in a sense too. Like if you're in darkness for such a long time and you come out into the light, it's going to hurt your eyes, right? So you have this instant where you can decide, ouch, this hurts. I'm going to run back in my cave or I'm going to just press on through. It's going to hurt for a little while, but then I'm going to be able to adjust and see and be able to live in that light. So, so there's that momentary pain associated with things being revealed and the shining the light and living in the light. But if you press through to adjust and live in it, instead of running away back in the cave, like, you know, the Pharisees would probably do. Yeah. That's the the worst when it's really dark and you flip the lights on after being in the dark for so long. When I, uh, when I wake my daughter up in the morning and and it's really dark and I flip the lights on, she, uh, she kind of complains like, oof, she actually says, oof. Nice. She, she's that Armenian. She actually right. says, oof. She says, oof, Baba, light. <laughs> so it hurts, right? It's not fun when you, when mm-hmm. you do that. But also, we, we, I think we just uh, take the privilege of having access to light right. uh, for granted. I mean, like in the right. culture that this is written in, right. it's a pretty valuable thing to be able to have light. If, yep. you, don't, if you don't have the, the, the privilege of light, if you don't have the gift of light, then... Yeah. you're at danger and you can't really do much you can't see right burning oil it's an expensive thing to have that right. light in at night right. right uh it's a it is a privilege and it is something that's costly right right so i think something about this light of the world statement is to actually value the gift of god instructing us god being our victory god offering us a way to walk with him um yeah, I, I, I do like the, the, the phrase you mentioned, Sean, with like the, the blind leading the blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of walking in the light is to acknowledge that we are blind or we are in darkness. And just like practically speaking, all three of us have counseled many people. And you, you cannot help someone who doesn't acknowledge step one, uh, that there is a problem. Right. Uh, and uh, like it, you can't help anyone if they, if they, if they don't realize there's darkness inside of them and it, it, it manifests in many forms. It could be an addiction. It could just be a certain characteristic, uh, uh, vice. It could be so many things, but if, if the, if the acknowledgement is not there, there's no chance for transformation. And yeah, I think even, that's what, Oh, go ahead, John. No, I said, even, even when they do make that acknowledgement, I think the analogy I made is apt is that, okay, there's going to be some pain. You're going to experience some right. discomfort, right? Okay. But it's going to be worth it going, coming out the other end. And that itself is a process. Yeah. That, it just struck me as we're talking about this last week, we were saying how that bread of life scene is like John's version of Eucharist and communion. Uh, and it's very likely that this chapter eight and chapter nine is John's version of uh, what, some scholars call the sort of unforgivable sin of Matthew, Matthew's gospel. I think maybe Mark has it too, where he says, you know, I can't, I can't heal you. I can't do anything. If you guys don't, (laughs) if you guys don't listen, if you just keep denying, if you reject me, like, Mm -hmm. so this posture of in face of all of the facts, pure rejection and unwillingness to let the light in, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, you you can't do something like you can't do anything with somebody who's refusing to yeah. to participate in that yeah and and then walking through the steps of walking in the light after you acknowledge it uh right. so right after jesus says he's the light of the world he says if you abide in my word 
mm-hmm. you are my disciples. Right. And right. you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right, right. So yeah. The, there's something f- freeing about uh, being in the light once we're mm-hmm. there. It might hurt initially, but the end goal is to freedom. Um, exactly. I, I often talk, I talk about sin uh, unashamedly. I believe there's right and wrong. Uh, we live in a society where people are like, how could you know we're good and evil? We've moved beyond that. Uh, everything is more gray. Um, but uh, there is right and wrong. And it's hard to embrace this in this post-modernist uh, worldview we, we're, we're in. Um, and oftentimes when I call things as sin, naming the darkness, uh, people may think that I'm shaming them or I'm trying to guilt them. But, but good preaching doesn't guilt them or shame them. It's, it's calling them to walk into freedom. On the other side of uh, confession is freedom. It's not additional guilt or additional shame. And, and this light motif is, all right, I want to put a spotlight on this problem. Own up to whatever is the darkness is there. Walk in the light. And if we abide in Christ and trust that, like Christ has victory over darkness. This is not some higher knowledge thing. This is actually mm-hmm. a concrete freedom of guilt and shame because of our sin. Uh, we trust him. We're, we will find freedom. Yeah. There's a, there's a, uh, a term called gaslighting where you shame somebody mm-hmm. or you guilt somebody for the purpose of power yeah. um, to, to gain awesome. an advantage over them. This is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, gaslighting. We're not talking about, creating shame so that you can hold people in place we're talking about freedom right we're talking about owning up to our weaknesses owning up to our inabilities and owning up to our mistakes and finding actually that those can be redeemed and used for healing for others and and the only way we'll be able to do that as you said is through the honesty but also the remaining or the abiding that jesus talks about and that language of abiding uh, we don't use it anymore, but it's connected to the word abode. Uh, that's the English term we translated abiding from. And abode uh, is a home, right? It's where you live, where you, live. Where, you yeah. where you spend your days, right? And uh, and that's the key thing. Are you taking up residence? Are you are you walking with Jesus uh, as your home? Is he? the one you remain with throughout uh, each moment of life. And that's, what's going to ultimately give you the, not just the honesty, but, but the ability to, to, to take your weaknesses and use them for healing and, and life of others. Yeah. I like that the idea of home uh, in a sense that, you know, right now we live in the fallen world and there is darkness in the world. And uh, uh, we are trying to live in the light in a sense, enemy territory in a lot of ways. And I like, you know, what you guys are saying that, you know, light, and Jesus says, as the light is, not, like I said, not trying to shame, but light can't help but be light, right? Light can't help but reveal things. It just, right. it's nature. It's right. what it's doing. There's no judgment there. It's what happens after the light reveals something right. where we can make that progress in people's lives for the positive and to abide in it. But also, like, like you said, the home thing, it's that we're in this world, but it's not our ultimate home, right? I, I think light is such a big theme in John's gospel from the beginning, from the middle, like you mentioned in first John, but also in revelation, right? Another John right, right, uh, right. written document in revelation. We uh, uh, are encountered with what God wants the new world to be like. We have a new creation and in a new Jerusalem, 
where there is no darkness. It's all light because we are completely in God's presence and it just all illuminated, no darkness at all. And that's the picture that we have. That's our ultimate home, right? That's where we will abide and live. Right. And I think let's take that all together and package it together because, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a, I had a, I may have said this on the pod before, but I had a professor who used to say, you can't understand the gospels unless you understand Exodus and you can't understand Exodus unless you understand Genesis. So it's this like three tiered situation. But so, you know, in Genesis, the light is the creation, right? And God brings a new creation into, into the world. And then in Exodus, God is leading his people by the light into a new way, a new creation. And then in the gospel, yeah, exactly. And in, in the Gospels, Jesus is the, the light of this new creation dawning in a new day. And the anticipation and the broad narrative of Scripture is that in Revelation, all of creation will be subsumed and renewed and a new creation will, uh, all of us will be led out into a new creation where life wins the day and love uh, rules all things. So it, it, all of that comes back to Jesus here as the centerpiece saying, I'm it, I'm the light yeah. leading you into that new day. And it's mm-hmm. dawned. And even though the darkness is ahead of us, we'll walk through it in, in light. Wonderfully put. I think we should end it there. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is coming from the Gospel of John. Uh, don't just take our word for it. Read the Gospel of John if you're new to the Bible or if you want to meditate on what does it mean that Jesus is the light uh, of this world. And uh, there's a lot of songs that are dedicated to this, a lot of uh poetry and imagery um but there's depth to this and uh we're not just talking about higher truths here we're talking about a concrete person um and i think that's important to stress um while we talk about these analogies of who christ is saying he is uh so thank you sean for joining us uh thanks for for, uh just catching up and talking um jeremy great talking thank you for to our listeners uh And have a wonderful day. Take care, everyone. Bye.